how to create a highly profitable trading system. Today, we're going to be learning from Chris Verma, a very profitable systematic trader. Chris has been inspiring many other traders through sharing his knowledge and trading executions on Twitter. He famously turned $3,000 into $1.6 million in less than two years. I'm really honored today to have Chris on the Humble Traders podcast to teach you his strategies and systematic approach. If you're serious about becoming a better trader, this episode today will answer some of your biggest trading concerns, such as how to create a profitable trading system, how to become more consistent with your executions, how to backtest your strategies and improve your executions, Chris's opinion on automated trading, and how to overcome a losing streak as a trader. It takes us a lot of time to organize and plan these trading lessons for you. So if you're learning a lot from these videos, please make sure to smash the like button and don't forget to share this lesson with your trading partners. Welcome, Chris. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Shay. Pleasure yeah. to be here. I'm glad uh, we finally can make this happen. Yeah, it's been a long time. Glad yeah. To be here, though. I've been following you on Twitter for a while because mm -hmm. I think everyone, including your followers, they know you as a very systematic trader, yeah. right? And that's how you found a lot of your trading success. That's right. Uh, how long have you been trading systematically? Um, I would say about six years now. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I started with more of a discretionary approach. Mm -hmm. And I think that once I found success with a systematic approach, it just kind of stuck. Okay. So how many years did you into your trading journey? You said six years. Did mm -hmm. you actually transition into tracking everything and uh, becoming more systematic with your trading approach? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it starts with backtesting for me. To find conviction okay. in a trade, I need to have the data to support the actions that I'm taking. So when I first started as a discretionary trader, I was more or less just clicking buttons. And okay. I think a lot of us have been guilty of this at For some sure. point. So um, it was after that I lost probably $100,000 of my own money just kind of clicking buttons and paying oh, my wow. market tuition, if you will. A very expensive one mm -hmm. because I had a successful sports betting career before I came into stocks. And I thought it would just be so easy to transition into it. And it was a bit of a, a mistake on my part. But it was a learning process. And then once I lost that money, I, I deep dove into backtesting. And from there, I transitioned into a systematic trader once I found the data and you know, small cap edges, mostly on the short side, because we found that a lot of these stocks would fade off if they gapped up or if they were spiking really high. And that is what gave me the conviction to put money on these trades and become a pure system trader. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't realize you had lost $100,000 before. That's a yeah. hefty uh, market tuition. Yeah, it was quite painful. But, you know, I think it was necessary for me to kind of teach me that this is not going to be easy and that I'm going to have to start from scratch. And, you know, I, I use trade ideas backtesting to really hone in on my ideas. So I would see these patterns occurring on the tape and then the charts. But then I'm thinking, how can I turn this into a system with defined rigid boundaries, entry criteria, position sizing, profit targets, stop losses? All of this stuff was just guessing if I were to look at uh, chart patterns and try and, and, and figure out what was happening based on that. So once I was able to export data from trade ideas into Excel, then I could see, okay, this is making sense if we use a 20% stop and a 20% profit target. 
and you know a 30% position size so i would tweak I, I would tweak and play with all these numbers to maximize the yield and then once i saw that it worked through the back tests that's what gave me the conviction to put real money on these trades i see and it's also with that system that you are you start sizing in more, right? Because eventually you recover from that hundred k loss yeah. and grew your account. Mm -hmm. Famously, I read on Twitter that you turned three thousand dollars into one point six million in less than two years. That's right. That was during the COVID craze. So mm -hmm. it started in December of twenty nineteen. I started with that three k account at Trade Zero, and by February of twenty one. I was able to turn it into seven figures and all with the same strategies that we use today, just shorting mm. parabolic moves. And it was during that phase that we had so many plays each day. I remember, you know, 10, 20, 30 Those plays a day. Best it was, times to it was amazing. And yeah. the beauty of that is that the action was so spread out and there was so much volume. Like, let's say you took a loss early in the day, you would still have four or five more plays coming to make it back. Yeah, so on sure. most days you were closing green. And that just kind of gave you confidence to keep going, keep sizing up, and just that repetition and practice of having that nonstop action. So what's your process like when you're tracking these different strategies that fit your system? Mm -hmm. Do you have, let's say, do you use Excel spreadsheets? I know yeah. you mentioned trade ideas for backtesting. Mm -hmm. Could you kind of walk us and our viewers through how you would create a profitable system and how many uh, how many data sets you need to prove that it's worth uh, worthwhile for you to put your capital in? Right. Good question, but also a very difficult one. Mm. So what I like to do is run long-term back tests. So I'll have an initial idea. Like let's say I want to short a stock that's going up 20% in 20 minutes. So at that point, what happens afterwards? I see. So if we track the last 100 times that occurred in the stock market, what were the averages, right? How far did it close from that point? How far did it spike from that point? And when we use the Excel spreadsheets, we can run back tests. And I have a lot of these templates on my website, so people can you know, view that as well. Okay. And once we see that from the back test that, okay, this stock after spiking up usually fades off 10%, then we can find an edge through that, a mathematical edge. And from that, we can use Kelly criteria and other mathematical concepts to maximize our profits on these moves. I see. So that's how you first discover a strategy. Right. Okay. And then you track, do you export all the data? Let's say how many data sets do you need to, to kind of prove to yourself and analyzing the data that this thing has, let's say 70% um, win rate and yeah. you can make at least 20% yield. Like how many data sets do you need from that? Well, in terms of the sample size, I have more confidence in a larger sample and also over a larger period of time. So okay. I would say at least like 200 data points you want in your okay. database to have a lot of confidence in it. And you also want it spanning over a six month period or longer. Because if the data is too congested in one time frame, then maybe the market cycle was just very favorable for that pattern. And it was just a, a small time frame thing, but on a larger scale, it's not as effective. Makes sense. So that's yeah. why we look at yearly data, usually four years. I look back until oh. 2019 to okay. make sure that a pattern consistently performs and there's not too much fluctuation in the returns per year. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I noticed that in the summer months, small caps are generally, you might see a play like every couple of days. So in the summer mm -hmm. months, that probably kind of skews your data. Or do you size down during particular months of the year and then size up more? during the other times that fit your strategy and your data? 
I would say my sizing is mostly based on the liquidity and the volume of the stock in play. Okay. So if it's a low volume play, then I'll try to keep my volume low because I don't want to stand out too much. Whereas if it's higher volume, then we can probably size in a little more and be more mm. comfortable getting in and out of the position without causing any liquidity problems. I uh, I know you just mentioned Kelly Criterion. Yeah. Uh, I also just I had to look up what that is a couple of days ago when I was preparing to talk to you. So if you don't mind, could you explain to our audience what is Kelly Criterion and what's the pros and the cons of using it in trading? Okay, so the Kelly Criterion is more of a gambling-based mathematical formula. So they use it in a lot of things like blackjack, sports betting, where the probabilities are known. Okay. Whereas in trading, it's not as black and white. So it's a little harder to apply the Kelly Criterion, but I still think it's a good sizing way to maximize your bankroll growth and try and compound an account aggressively. Now, I do see a lot of the, the criticisms against it when it's applying to trading. And this is where we use fractional Kelly stakes. So we use okay. a very small percentage of the suggested Kelly size. So this way we kind of protect ourselves from over leveraging our account. Because the biggest danger of using a Kelly criterion sizing is that if you risk too much, you can actually negate your edge mathematically. And if you risk too little, then you also undercapitalize on some of these setups. Because in small caps, there's not as many opportunities as there was during the COVID market. Yeah, you have sure. to you have to be fearful of undercapitalizing just as much as overcapitalizing because there aren't as many opportunities. And if you're trying to make the jump from a nine to five person to a full time trader, then you need to make it worth your while with enough capital earned on these plays. Mm -hmm. So I think aggressive but smart sizing is recommended, and that's what the Kelly Criteria and especially with fractional stakes helps you do. Okay, so for example, let's say in a regular market, you will use, uh, I know the formula is something along the lines of uh, account size times mm -hmm. your win rate mm -hmm. and then divide by your edge percentage. That's right. Right, and then let's say that gives you a number, let's just say, let's just say $1,000. Mm -hmm. So let's say in a normal market, you would risk 1000 So that's, and let's say in, you know, slower markets, less liquidity, like right now, would you mm -hmm. go 0.5 or 0.3 of that Kelly stake? So what I normally do is like 0.25 to 0.3. Oh, okay. So I use a fractional Kelly stake and this helps prevent oversizing and um, negating your edge through mm -hmm. aggressive sizing. And it also helps with your execution. This is something that I've really worked on this year is trying to reduce my emotions and my stress during trading. Because if you're too emotional, then it doesn't really matter what your edge is or what your Kelly size is. You're probably not going to execute it that well. So keeping your emotions and your stress levels under control is really important to helping you prof be profitable long term. I see. Yeah. But it's also with Kelly criteria that you're probably able to stay with the trade, even if mm -hmm. it's going against you for like a couple percent, right? Yeah. Because I... I understand from reading your tweets that uh, you do use wider stops, but that mm -hmm. also allows you to write out the the when the stock write it out until the stock eventually reverse and yeah. to hit your profit goals. That's right. Because okay. in small caps, there's a lot of fake out moves, and yeah, they're trying sure. to get people to stop out because a lot of people are shorting these moves. Mm -hmm. So instead of trying to get perfect entries or trying to tape read or do, do any of these chart analysis, we just let the stop work for us and say, we're not going to touch this unless it hits my 20, 20 or 30% stop. And majority of the time, it will fail before hitting the stop, and then you're in the profit. 
and then you can you take your profits and you just repeat that process over and over whereas i see a lot of traders trying to read chart patterns and yeah. and tape reading and level 2 analysis and those things may work for them but i just think they're very discretionary approaches they're very subjective in nature and they're also very hard to teach right it just takes a lot of screen time a lot of experience and a lot of intuition to be profitable trading in those methods whereas if you're a pure system trader you can basically be profitable from day 1 with little to no experience. Oh wow, really? So, okay. Yeah, cuz there's very defined rigid entry and exit criteria, stops, targets, mm -hmm. sizing. It's all kind of laid out and you just kind of follow the plan. There I see. we we are incorporating a little bit more discretion now just to Oh, okay. Just to be a little bit harder to predict our movements. But I would say, you know, it's 80% system, 20% discretion. So I guess the pros or the benefits of um, doing systematic trading with, especially with Kelly Criterion is that, is it true that you don't really need to, re like you said, rely on level two, no price action? Okay, but just volume is a factor yeah. still, okay. Yeah, there's a lot of criteria that we look for and volume is probably the most important one, especially that I've honed in on this year. And I'm trying to focus on lower volume plays because what I found is that the higher the volume, the more likely that it's going to be manipulated, it's going to be crowded. There's mm. going to be a lot of games, a lot of action that are is not favorable to a short seller. I see. So avoiding volume, in my opinion, is one of the biggest things that you can do as a short seller. Okay. And yeah. does it help with your emotions? Do you feel like, obviously there will always be some emotions involved, mm -hmm. but does it... Do you feel like you stay a lot calmer trading, especially when you're sized up, but you're trading a strategy that you know has a high win rate? Yeah, 100%. Because mm -hmm. that's where my conviction comes from. Yeah. I found so many times that I would take a non-system trade, let's say out of boredom, or if I was you know, revenge trading something, Yeah. I wouldn't have the same conviction in that because there's no data behind it. I'm just kind of guessing. That's when you get actually emotional because yeah. you know you don't have the exactly. edge. Oh, makes so, sense. So I try to stay on course as, as long as I can and just follow my system. And so many days that I won't have a trade and I'm okay with that, right? I think mm. a good skill of a trader is being patient, being disciplined, and being able to sit on your hands when there's no action, right? Instead of forcing trades where you don't have an edge or you're just guessing. I noticed that you mentioned a lot of short selling. Mm -hmm. Are oh, How many strategies are you kind of regularly playing right now? And are they all on the short side? Yes. So we have basically three main strategies that okay. I use. One is a parabolic short that I recently tweeted about. Mm. And this is the same strategy that I've used you know, for years now and have had most of my success with this same pattern. So a stock going up very quickly usually has some mean reversion and reverses and comes down especially on low volume small caps they're very manipulated so they can easily drop back down to where they came okay whereas if a more legitimate stock did that a blue chip stock or a higher volume stock you wouldn't expect the same reversal because the move might be more legitimate okay so yeah. the main pattern that i do is shorting parabolic stocks okay. and then also i short gappers that are showing weakness so let's say 100% gapper, if it starts fading from the open, mm -hmm. then that kind of confirms the pattern that it's a weak stock, that it might be a dilution play, and then I might short it and then ride the wave down. Oh, okay. And one other pattern that I use is a backside short. Okay. So it's basically a parabolic stock that hasn't met the criteria for a frontside entry, but it may be valid on the backside 
to take for an entry, let's say if it's up 50%, mm -hmm. the volume is decreasing, and then it will trigger on our scanners, and then we can enter and then and safely ride it back down. So uh, this super para setup on the short side, mm -hmm. I also saw this on your Twitter that you, it uh, has an aggregated win rate of 84%. That's right. Okay. So did you, was this invented or you started tracking it this year and you started trading this setup? So this is a setup that I introduced in April, and it's kind of an evolution of our original setup, which is the parabolic short, the P20, I called it. Okay. And it's basically over years of refining and data tracking that we've been able to improve upon our original idea, which was already a very strong strategy, a strong pattern. But we were able to improve upon that in terms of the metrics and the execution just from our own personal experience. Because as strong as a backtest is, it doesn't have that personal touch. Right? right. It doesn't have your own personal experience trading it, like years and years of seeing the same patterns where you can pick up on small nuances. And that's what we were able to do with the Super Para. And since introducing it, the win rate has been incredible, 84%, and getting very high average gain per trade over 10%. Oh, wow. Even though the backtest would indicate a lot lower because we've been able to incorporate some of our discretion to the trades and cut some plays that are you know, not behaving properly. If they're not working right away, we're not getting that instant resolution, then we're losing patience on the trade and we're quicker, quicker to bail out. Whereas if it is paying instantly and it's working right away, then we're a little more patient because it's kind of showing that it's working, it's behaving properly, and that it's going to continue okay. you know, fading in our direction. So... On a high level, how would you teach someone? Let's say someone approaches you today. How would you teach mm -hmm. someone brand new this super para setup? Like on a high level, rough idea, what is this super para setup on the short side? Right. So it's basically a strong parabolic move in under 30 minutes. So my criteria is roughly 30% in 30 minutes. Okay. So if a stock goes up that amount, at least that amount, has other certain variables that I can't really discuss. Mm -hmm. But that's the main criteria. For the short. For the short. I see. So as soon as it triggers that criteria on our trade idea scanners, which I've coded, um, it will trigger the entry price and you know the ticker symbol, the time, all of that information. And then all of that is given to you. You just enter that into your broker with a certain amount of shares that we use based on the Kelly criterion, mm. which is optimal sizing. I see. And then we use, we've introduced some more scaling now, so it's not a pure fixed stop, let's say 20% stop, there is some scaling. So we may add okay. a little bit higher. So the approach is a little bit more complicated now, just so that we're a little harder to track our movements and algos can't really trade against us. Yeah. So that we, you know, can kind of avoid the typical short, seller, short, short seller approach. So our approach now is that we just want to short these parabolic moves with our scaled entries. Okay. And then we're also taking covers with more discretion. And you're looking for, that's a 30% move up, you enter, and then you, what's kind of like the expected yield? Let's say a 20% move mm -hmm. down, then you cover. It also depends on how extended the stock is on the day. Right. If it's only up 30% on the day, then our profit target would be a bit lower because we can't expect it to drop 50% from there, right? But right. if it's up 100% on the day, then the profit targets would be a little wider oh, because there, there is more expected fade if a stock is more extended. Okay. So all of these things we track from the data and we can say, all right, if a stock is more extended, should we hold for a 40% target or a 30% target? Or if it's just up 20, 
then should we shorten our targets? So everything is based on the large sample backtests. Mm. And everything's predetermined. That's the beauty of systematic trading, right? More or less, yeah. Okay. So you, your entry is predetermined, your potential target depends on the percentage gap. Yeah. And the only thing that's discretionary is your ads and covers right. around those lines. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And is that kind of your favorite setup this year? Well, I've made the most money on it, so yeah. Yeah. I would say <laughs> okay. So. That's good. Okay, so we just heard about the beauty of uh, systematic trading, and mm -hmm. it sounds like it sounds like it removes a lot of the traders' problems, like emotional issues or like finding plays, because now you can code your scanner to find plays for you. Right. So the only thing left that still requires human or well, manual entry is mm -hmm. the execution part. Right. right. So how as, as a trader, how long did it take for you to be consistently able to execute those desired systems that mm -hmm. you created? And any tips for traders who are you know, kind of struggling with consistency in their executions? Right. Very good question. I think what helped me the most is just years of gaming experience and being very quick. Gaming experience? Yeah. Oh, OK. So, Which games did you play? Oh, I don't know, like Counter-Strike, uh, <laughs> StarCraft, okay, all the typical games. And oh. these games will help you with your mouse speed, keyboard speed, just being able to type things quickly, knowing okay. where to find what you're looking for. And it's just practice and repetition at the end of the day. So it takes, you know, a couple of years before you really know how to execute the trades properly and quickly. Because mm. in this uh, small cap realm, speed is everything. So many times, sure. so yeah. many times you'll find that a stock is spiking up, and ten seconds later it's back down. So yeah. if you don't have your orders ready, your locates ready, your you know everything ready to go, and every little step I try to shave time off. So with trade ideas, you can do something called symbol linking, okay. where if you click on the symbol, it will automatically link it to your broker, so you don't have to oh, type it in the okay. level two. So that shaves off time, right? And then you can locate your shares. So if you have your, your position sizing, we have these little cheat sheets, I call them. And all you have to do is type in the locate price, the entry price, and it will tell you exact number of shares to put in. So when, okay. you, when you streamline all of these little things, it helps you get in faster and that's your edge over the competition. I see. So this is something that we practice and I really preach this, just try and get in faster and, and practice executing the trades, even with small size. Okay. Do you use hotkeys? That probably helps a lot too, right? What I actually use now is not hotkeys, but hot buttons. On the level two, there's like hotkey window oh, buttons. Okay. And I, there's a key reason why I do this because once I had a, a fat finger mistake where I applied a oh. hotkey and it was selected the wrong montage. I see. The wrong level two. So I didn't know what I was actually applying the trade to. And that was a very oh. costly mistake. With the hotkey okay. buttons, you know exactly what you're clicking and you have that. True you have those mistakes kind of you know avoided. So I use those and those are all pre-programmed with all the common actions that I use. Mm -hmm. And another key tip that I'll say is don't program hotkeys for things that you don't do. So right. for longing trades, basically, I don't have any buying hotkeys. Because you don't, don't go long. I don't go long, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense. So I don't wanna have that temptation of being able to go long because if you have that button available, maybe you'll just you know, you're bored one day, you want to click yeah, exactly. it. Okay. Yeah. The YOLO traded or whatever. So okay. kind of limiting yourself and just giving yourself the ability to do what you need and nothing more. I mm. think that's very critical. I think those are really good tips. Basically trying to shape your environment or your platform. So you have less urge or tendency to 
to boredom trade and go outside mm. of your system, if exactly. essentially. Exactly. Oh, that's a very good tip. Mm. Yeah. So we have three main trading systems and they are all coded in your trade idea scanner. That's right. right. So does that take, do you still, in that case, do you still need to prepare for your trading every morning before market opens? Not really. That's the, be <laughs> that's the beauty of my system. Oh, okay. I literally wake up at 6.20 a.m. and I'm ready to go. I don't really do any pre-market. You wake up at six twenty a.m. Yeah. I know you're on, on Vancouver, so West Coast time. Yeah, West Coast time. I wake up like ten minutes before market okay. open, and I'm ready to go. That's it. I say, "What's up, guys?" and and we're oh, going. That, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I wake up at well, I've been waking up a little bit later, but I, I wake up five thirty. But do you trade pre-market? No, I just kind of oh. watch the market. Oh, okay. Yeah. Really? Yeah, and do mm. some planning because mm. I uh, then I'll, I also use trade ideas to scan for stocks. And I pick up stocks and then kind of plan for them first. Ideally, it's like five stocks every day. But I think yeah. our trading styles are a little different. Yeah, very different. Yeah. So adding to that, so if everything is so systematic, you yeah. can technically, let's say, use an, uh, there's a lot of um, AI trading bots or systems where mm -hmm. you can just kind of automate a lot of these entries and exits, right? Yeah. You can link it to your trade ideas. Have you thought about doing that? I have actually experimented with automating the trades. And there was a few issues that I ran into. Number one was trust. I didn't trust the system to execute the oh. trades properly. And I would always be on the kind of over the shoulder of the system just okay. watching it. So I was like, I might as well just manage this myself. And then also I ran into a lot of errors. Like it wouldn't locate the number of shares properly or it oh. wouldn't execute the, the trades properly. And if there is a, a fat finger mistake, for example, how can you trust that the computer will correct that problem? Okay. Um, there were just a few issues that I had with it. And also, I think as systematic as you want to be, there has to be some discretion, some intuition involved based on stock selection. Like there's just right. some plays that are like SPACs recently or, oh, yeah. or there's, um, you know, different scenarios that are kind of rare or unique and you can't be 100% systematic and trade exactly the same way. So we do incorporate some discretion say, okay, this stock is, you know, manipulated or it's a... A lot of the times the information on trade ideas or some of these stock fundamentals are incorrect. Yeah, that's true. So we have yeah. to check the sources and be like, okay, is this really accurate? This source is saying, you know, that. This source is saying this. What do we use as the correct information? Mm -hmm. And if it's like conflicting data, then sometimes I'll just pass on the trade. And so many times it saved me money because it's like a different type of stock than we anticipate. So there has to be some human input into these trades no matter what. You know, it's great to follow these systems that allows you to execute. Mm -hmm. Are there still periods of drawdowns, even with systematic trading? Oh, of course. Okay. So mm -hmm. how do you get through those periods mm -hmm. of drawdowns? Well, drawdowns are tough for any yeah, type of trader. And for sure. And I've experienced a drawdown myself personally this year. In the beginning part of the year, I was doing more wide stops and more heavy sizing. And that resulted in a lot of volatility in my equity curve. Okay. I was able to double my account in the first week of the year. Oh, wow. And then I managed to lose all of that, all of those gains over the next few months because of that volatility. I see. So since April, coincidentally, when we introduced that super pair setup, I've been able to regain all of those lost profits, but in a oh. lot smoother equity curve, just kind of grinding up slowly with less drawdown, also less parabolic growth. But okay. it's been a compromise that I'm okay with because it's just easier to deal with. Mm. That's been my approach this year in 2023 is just decreasing the stress, decreasing the emotional 
you know, spikes of the trades and just trying to profit slowly and consistently, not having these wild equity swings. But my biggest thing is the back testing. That's okay. what gets me through a drawdown. Okay. Let's say I'm in a deep drawdown. I'm not really confident in my trading. I just go back to my databases and my Excel spreadsheets and I say, you know what, this strategy worked for the last four or five years. Maybe it's having a period of time where it's not working, but it stands the test of time. Eventually it will come through if I continue and stay on the path. And I think a lot of traders, they make the mistake of tweaking things and they bail on their strategies or mm -hmm. they start trading crypto or futures or yeah. something completely different, right? Yeah. Whereas if they had just stayed the course, they would have recovered. But I think it's that first drawdown that a lot of traders give up on a strategy or themselves. So this is where data comes in and it really strengthens your confidence and conviction in a strategy. So what happens, so does that mean, uh, let's say there's those black swan events like mm -hmm. HKD, those yeah. crazy, uh, were they a SPAC? They were just super low float, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Does that kind of, when I don't know if you traded those, but those kind of surprise a lot of traders, especially on mm -hmm. the short side. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with these supernova black swan events that mm -hmm. kind of threw that's kind of was originally part of a criteria, but kind of yeah. threw your system out mm -hmm. of the expected range. Right. Yeah. So in any data set, there's going to be outliers that skew yeah, the metrics. Sure. And they happen once or twice a year. But if you have a large enough data set, you're going to capture enough of those outliers to know how big of an outlier it is and how oh. often they happen. So then you can prepare for it. Okay. And what I found is that the majority of these have a common theme is that they're very low float. Yeah. Or there are Chinese stocks that are very easily manipulated with incorrect fundamentals. And they're very crowded on the short side. And that's why we have these massive squeezes. Thankfully, I've been able to avoid all of those. That's good. But another key thing is that you have a hard stop loss. You're not allowing these to run thousands of percents against you. You're mm. cutting it sooner than that. So, you know, whether a stock goes 100% past the stop or 1% past the stop, it's the same. I see. So, so this is where having a determined hard stop that's at the broker level, that's a very key point. Don't have hard stops like mental stops. Okay. Because too many times that you'll be in that moment and you won't stop out. You'll just hold it a little bit longer and hope for a reversal. So when you say, sorry, let's, uh, I want to zone in on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. The hard stops at a broker yeah. level, do you yeah. mean that's part of your system to tell your broker, hey, stop me out at, let's say, 10K loss? Or part of your system to mm -hmm. stop you out at, let's say, 20% loss? Right. Good question. I have actually two levels of stops okay. in my system. So I have a position-based stop loss based on a percentage. Okay. And then I have an account equity stop based on the daily P&L. I see. So this is to protect yourself from massive intraday drawdowns. Let's say let's say there's a theme running, like recently weed stocks are running. Yeah. And let's say you short four of them based on your strategy. So you basically have correlated risk in one direction yeah. against the weed market. So if all of those turn into max losses, then you could possibly exceed your daily max loss or have a very large drawdown that would be very uncomfortable to deal with. Mm. So that's where the broker level stop loss will help you and prevent those major drawdowns. Yeah, thanks. These are really good insights. I think our audience really need to hear. Everybody needs to hear it. Yeah. I need to remind myself sometimes. We're, not, we're never immune to these beginner lessons. As experienced mm -hmm. as you are as a trader, you're always humbled by the market and you know, all it takes is one mistake to wipe out weeks or months of gains. And that's what these black swans are doing. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter get wiped out. Yeah. And they can have weeks, months, years of profits mm -hmm. gone in the blink of an eye if they're not, you know, executing 
all the time. Yeah. So that's where the broker level will help you if you're unable to execute. And let's say your internet connection drops out or something like that happens. It's out of your hands. That would be terrible. Oh, that's every that trader's before. worst nightmare. Yeah. yeah. So that's okay. where the broker will help you out. Yeah. I think that's the dangers of discretionary trading. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of traders have the habit of kind of, oh, let's see what happens. Right. Yeah, and that kind of when you <laughs> yeah, see a stock been. going a thousand percent, that's a. Yeah. I'm usually not a talkative person, but when it comes to trading, it just comes out. Believe me. <laughs> but I am curious before trading, mm -hmm. uh, what, what was your former career before you stepped into trading full time? Well, I was a full time pharmacist for about 10 years here in B.C. And I was also doing a pharmacist. Little, yeah, pharmacist. And I thought I was, you would have like a math or finance background or something like well, that. Well, there's a lot of like required math and statistics classes in pharmacy school. Oh, really? And it, it's an ironic story. It was my pharmacy, um, first year pharmacy statistics professor that got me kind of intrigued in the gambling side of things because so he, he was a sports better on the side. Okay. So he would always bring these examples of point spreads and, and over-unders and such into mm -hmm. the classroom. And, you know, he would discuss like, how the mathematics worked and how the markets worked. And in a way, trading is not much different, right? There's two right. sides to a market. There's buyers and sellers. There's an equally agreed price. Mm -hmm. And the markets are always moving based on available information. So if you can turn that into a systematic, quantified approach, then you can make money if you know how to find edges based on those imbalances or inefficiencies in the market. You were a pharmacist for 10 years. <laughs> 10 years, yeah. And when you decided, did you uh, start part trading part-time while you still were a pharmacist? Yeah, I was doing it part-time initially. Okay. And the benefit of being on the West Coast is that you can trade yeah. you know, in the morning and still do a day job mm -hmm. without really interfering. So I did have an employer that was a little lenient on that. So I was able okay. to bring my computer into the pharmacy and kind of just keep an eye on things. Really? Yeah. So you were like uh, prescribing someone uh, medicine and then uh -huh. you're trading systems on the side? Well, maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. So depending on how you did that day, that person may get an extra dose. Yeah. You <laughs> just know. kidding. There were oh, some wow. hazards in the job, in the workplace based on my P&L of the day. But okay. I tried to keep it separate as much as I could. And then once the COVID market hit, I kind of just focused on the trading because mm. it was just overwhelming and I couldn't juggle both. And obviously it was a lot more, you know, financially beneficial. So yeah. I did that and I never looked back. Yeah. Pharma pharmacist, you, you, it's a good career too. Yeah. Right? Was it easy to give that up? Like, did you, were you in love with a career or? It was not easy okay. because, you know, the amount of years goes into the degree and yeah. the licensing exams and, and all of that. So it was a little bit difficult to give that up. I, I gave that a lot of thought, but I felt like in order to fully embrace this path as the trader lifestyle and, and be fully committed to a full-time trading approach, I wanted I didn't want to have any backups. Because mm. I'm the kind of person I feel like I thrive under pressure. And if there's nothing nothing, you know, backstopping me, then everything is all in on trading. And I just felt like that was the right move for me. But I could okay. always go back to pharmacy if I needed to as oh, a backup. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think you need to anymore. <laughs> I would hope that I wouldn't yeah, have to, yeah. Yeah, but it's always there just in case. Oh. And I think it's important to have a backup because there's a lot of people looking to make the transition from a nine to five to a full-time uh, trading approach. And I get yeah. this question a lot, like how much money should I make before I make the move or you know, how consistent should I be? And this is difficult to answer because everybody's personal finances will differ. Yeah. It depends on your trading goals, your lifestyle goals and 
but I would say show some consistency for at least two to three years. Have a good bankroll, like in the bank, just as a, a rainy day fund. Because mm-hmm, if you're sure. trading on scared money, it probably won't end well. There's a lot of pressure yeah. and it could crumble you. Yeah, so. and scared money don't make money, especially no. not in trading. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, how, nice. how much money did you save up before you quit your job? Just out of curiosity. From the like, pharmacy job? Yeah, you know when you quit,、uh-huh. you said you quit during COVID, right? So you found、yeah. success in 2019. Yeah. So you're already consistent. Yeah.、Um, it was actually funny. I was never a profitable trader until that 2019 run.、Mm. I was losing up until that time. Okay. So in June of 2020 is when I gave up my pharmacy degree. So after、oh. like six months. Oh wow. Yeah. Also, like COVID, kind of COVID market kind of happened in March, March, 2020, right?、Yeah. Okay, okay. So after those three months, I was just convinced, and it was just too hard to juggle because I、yeah. was trading in the pharmacy, and there was just like nonstop action. I couldn't be focused on it. Yeah,、and、it just felt like it was an opportunity cost, and also being in the pharmacy, I didn't want to expose myself to the virus and and the risks because like so many people would be coming in. Yeah, and the doctors weren't seeing people in person. So people、oh. were becoming in physically to the pharmacy, coughing all over the place, and just like it was very risky.、Right. I think so. Yeah, right. Yeah, you you still had a job, or you still there were a lot of people who had to work from home. You obviously couldn't. No, we couldn't.、So、yeah, they and they、there. needed you in person. Yeah, and it was、yeah. very busy. It was very hectic,、mm. and it was just kind of clogged. The whole healthcare system was clogged, so it、yeah. was not a good time to be there. Makes sense. So I just said, all right, I'm just going to trade. Okay. Well, where can everyone find you if they have questions for you or they just want to follow your journey? Yeah, so you can check me out on Twitter. It's at Chris Verma eighty eight, and I post you know pretty much daily my P and Ls, any insights that I have,、mm-hmm. a few pics of the views that I have, or you know, you know some trader lifestyle things、okay. just to inspire guys and, and show them what's possible if you apply yourself and. And you follow your dreams as a trader. Never give up. That's what I'll say. Because there were so many times in my career that I felt like giving up, and、mm. and so many times where I just didn't think I would make it or be able to follow my rules. But you know, if you put your mind to it, eventually you will make it. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. As a predominantly price action trader myself, after talking with Chris today, I actually realized that there's a lot of similarities between the way he trades systematically and the way I approach trading. We both have to really understand trader psychology,、um, have a good understanding of our own emotions, and of course, following our risk tolerance and discipline. I'm really inspired by Chris today. He's only focusing on his best strategies on the small cap short setups, and he doesn't deviate out of his normal routine and his normal executions and trade all the random hardest stocks of the day. I think one of the number one key takeaways from this lesson today is that whether you are a discretionary trader or a systematic trader, you should only be trading when you see a proven setup or strategy that has been working for you. If you enjoyed today's video, please remember to drop a like down below. 